insurrection, obstruction, indictments, civilly liable for sexual abuse. The one man responsible for all that could be sitting in a prison cell on election day and still be elected commander-in-chief for these United States. That man is beholden to Putin, weakened NATO the last time around, and is currently tying himself to wealthy Saudi oil money. He enriched himself when government stated his property. He campaigned on wanting to use government to go after his political rivals and wants to expand executive power. If Donald Trump is re-elected, our nation is lost. So let's roll up our sleeves, get to work, and tell the MAGA folks no more before it's too late. Conversation, Terry code 914-803-4131. That is 914-803-4131. We'll be taking calls except for when we have our guest on. Uh, you can also join us in the chat room at uh, youtube.com slash liberaldanradio. If you're in the blog talk, blogtalkradio.com slash chat, just come on over to YouTube. And while you're at it, when you come over here, if you haven't subscribed already, please remember to subscribe to the channel, like the video, uh, share it to your friends, have them join us for the party as well. Uh, if you're listening after the live broadcast, you can always leave your uh, comments, questions, concerns, etc. over at the show thread at liberaldan.com, over at facebook.com slash liberaldanradio, at liberaldanradio on Twitter, uh, also at uh, here on youtube.com slash liberaldanradio as well. Uh, if you want to support the show, again, the most important thing you can do is to subscribe to the channel, get your friends to subscribe. We're making that push to 1,000. We're, we're, we're trugging along, trying to get there. Um, Comment on other videos that, are, that aren't the live videos, like them, share them. Uh, engagement helps uh, drive other people to the videos. That's the best thing you can do is just interact with other videos on top of the lives that you interact with because that's the best thing you can do to help me out um, and get other, share videos to your, to your social media pages, Twitter, Facebook, Facebook et cetera, um, and just tell your friends to, hey, help out. How about this guy, Dan, who's trying to make it to 1,000? Um, if you want to help out any more, you could also become a Liberal, Liberal Dan Radio patron, patreon.com slash liberaldan or patreon.liberaldan.com. Either way, it'll get you there. Uh, you could Venmo me at Liberal Dan Radio or Liberal Dan, I'm sorry, Liberal Dan at Venmo. Or you could go, you can buy me a cider. Um, go to liberaldan.com, click on the buy me a cider button. And that will get you there. Or you can just go to buymeacoffee.com slash liberaldanradio. That's all the ways you can help me. I'll repeat all that later as well. Shouts out to everyone in chat. TV2, uh, Bill, Jolie, Trucker John, Aaron, Mary. Thank you for the thumbs up. Uh, who else am I missing? Who flipped this came in? If I'm missing anybody, of course, my other persona, Nerdy Dan. <laughs> um, again, if you're... We got more likes than views. That's good. Um, Jeff, did I say hi to Jeff? Um, 
At the bottom half of the hour, we have Ken Good coming on. Uh, he, this is the second time he'll be coming on the show. Uh, each time we've discussed bail reform, and so we'll be doing so. We'll be doing so this time. And uh, Illinois uh, went ahead, and the Supreme Court, after a district court uh, overturned uh, the uh, Safety Act or whatever it's called, uh, that uh, that would have eliminated cash bail in the entire state. Uh, the Supreme Court of Illinois over, overturned that ruling and upheld the law, uh, eliminating cash bail. So we're going to be discussing that. Um, he'll give his opinions. I'll give my opinions. Um, his, uh, I guess his representation reached back out because he felt that, you know, A, it's important. Uh, he feels that it's important to get his word out. And I have no problem. We we had a nice, respectful conversation about the issues. We disagreed probably on a, on a bit. We agreed on some. Uh, but you know, at the end of the day, uh, they thought that you know I I was treated him as a guest as with as respectfully, I suppose, and they wanted to come back on and and give it another discussion and go around. So I'm I'm glad that I was viewed as somebody who would treat my guests with respect. So we'll come back around for round two. Um, so I'm glad that I'm seen as as somebody who treats others with respect. Uh, but for the first half hour of the show, we'll be discussing other. Topics. I was going to have some, uh, uh, my words of redneck wisdom was going to be from uh, Tuberville again or whatever, Potatoville. I should call him Potatoville because it's Tuberville. Uh, the Florida senator who happens to, the, 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 senator, the Florida senator who happens to represent Alabama, um, he uh, made an awful comment about how the military is not like an equal opportunity employer when in reality it is. And I was going to take his little short blurb and make it into words of redneck wisdom. But uh, if, if, if you're wondering why I don't have that available, uh, blame Beyonce. Uh, because I was planning on getting home after picking my kid up uh, uh, and, uh, and being able to get home with plenty of time to capture that audio and make, make the uh, bit. Um, but traffic to the Beyonce concert at the Superdome was, was rather hectic. So therefore, I did not have enough time when I got home to make the, I barely got home with enough time to actually get here and start the podcast. So I'm glad I, got, I was able to get home in time for this. But yeah, the traffic was terrible today in New Orleans. Um, but, you know, it happens. It is what it is. Thank you, Donald. <laughs> so... Of course, I had to deal with a flat tire today. I actually had the flat tire yesterday. Uh, I was just about to take um, my oldest son. The bus stop is like half a block down. And for the first couple weeks of school, I was we were getting in my car and I was driving him half a block down to just, and just kind of waiting with him at the stop. And I'm like, you know what? It's about time. You can, make, you can leave the house at... 6.30 and you can walk half a block and you can make it to your bus. For some reason, if the bus comes early and leaves you, well, call me, let me know, and I'll pick you up and I'll take you because the bus sometimes has done that. But so far, the first couple days of this week, he's been responsible enough to get out the door and walk down the street and get to the bus stop on time. So it's good. So then I take my other son to the other bus stop, which is a little further away from the house. He can't walk to that. It would be too far, too dangerous to walk to that stop. All of a sudden, I'm start driving, and I hear a get up the car, go to the other side of the car. Of course, I have a flat tire. So 
so turn the car around, drive slowly back to the car. I only was walked, drove two, two, two houses down, go hop in my wife's car, uh, drive him to the bus stop in my wife's car, come back. Uh, I'm like, I don't want to deal. I'm not, I'm not ready to deal with this today. I had too much stuff to do yesterday. So today, after I drove him to the bus, to the bus stop again today, I, uh, I came home. I, 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 I changed my flat to the spare. And then after my meetings this morning, I drove and got this, went to go get the spare replaced. And lo and behold, and I recently had just had another tire replaced because, or repaired, I guess. No, it was, it was replaced. The current one that was, the current one that had a problem was already fixed. It was already repaired. It had a repair on it already, but there was a, apparently a gash on the side. The one that, that we get there, so that one had a gash on the side or a, a slice or something. It sounded almost as if somebody punctured it. Um, I don't know, but they call me and they're like, "Well, you have you have that, and you have a nail in your in your brand new tire." So I had to get two tires replaced. Which, uh, if you uh, if you live in New Orleans, which most of y'all don't, but if you live in New Orleans, always get the tire warranty. Um, I do. I've had it ever since doing rideshare. If you do rideshare, absolutely get the tire warranty. But thankfully, I had the tire warranty, and the replacement of the brand new tire was free, so I didn't have to worry about that. Thank goodness. And the replacement of the other tire was at a at a, at a prorated cost, fortunately. So that was fine. So it didn't cost me too much money today, but still, aggravating. Let's see what is what's going on in the chat. Made a milkshake today, frozen chocolate yogurt, chocolate milk, vanilla extract, and cherries. I welcome the brain freeze. Nice. I was in a sociology debate today, and my opposition gave my opposition peace of mind. Uh, a guy I was debating said the Roman and Greek societies were superior to ours. I asked him why Greek and Roman statues had such small <laughs> um, eggplants. MJ Daniel driving just passed to come to Washington, going to Seattle. My transition went on I five. Not fun. Ooh. That happened to us. Um, I, I think I talked about this when, when I was talking about, you know, Cassie and how my wife is awesome and everything like that. How the first one of the first things we did um, that she did for me uh, when you know we were dating was we drove up to uh, Baltimore to see my mom in the hospital, um, and, and she had a Saturn. She had, she had a Saturn view at the time. And we were driving up, and it's like an 18-hour drive, and we get to Chattanooga, where Saturns were made. And all of a sudden, I'm driving, and, I'll, and it, right in the, inter, in the inter, interchange from like 20 to 70 or something like that, right there in the middle of Chattanooga, I hit the accelerator, and all of a sudden, the car goes, transmission just dead. Like nothing, nothing was happening. I'm like, what the hell's going on? I don't know. I immediately put the car in the neutral. I just let, we're, fortunately we're on a downhill. I just let the momentum of the car travel. We, we were able to travel. I put my hazards on. I traveled completely off the interstate on the, on the off ramp, got into a parking lot, 
and was able to use the entire momentum of the car to get into a parking lot, called a tow truck. We got towed. Um, the car was 50 miles before the warranty was up. We were damn lucky. Now, fortunately, they, actually, they had actually extended the transmission warranty um, to a little extra, so we were, would have been fine otherwise. But 50 miles on a trip between New Orleans and Baltimore, we were 50 miles shy of her over a bumper-to-bumper warranty when the transmission blew. And it added, so it added four more hours to the trip. Fortunately, fortunately they had one in stock. So we went to the mall. And I don't know if I talked about this on my living life as a fat person episode that I had. Um, but we went to the mall. And uh, so we're walking around some store. And we're, I think it was Dillard's or something, maybe, I don't know. And we're just biding time for when her car was going to be finished so that we could continue on our voyage from hell. And uh, the woman comes up to us and she's, she goes to me and she's like, excuse me, the, the big and tall section is over there. I'm like, I looked at my wife and, or I looked at Cassie at the time. I'm like, she must have thought I was tall. I'm like, what kind of nerve do you have to just do random? Who says that we were looking for me? We were just looking. I wasn't shopping for it. We were just looking around. But, like, the big and tall section is over there. Like, if I want the big and tall section, I'll ask you. You know, come on. Maybe you're trying to be helpful, but go away. Like, that that was just ridiculous. <laughs> the big and tall section is over there. But, you know, fortunately for, for me, um, yeah, she had AAA as well, so... Um, we had AAA give us a tow, but wow, just, she must have thought I was tall. Fortunately, for, I guess, for for me and for the woman uh, who was working at the department store, uh, I have a good sense of humor about things most of the time. And that was, and and I had other things that I was worrying about at the time. So I was taking everything with just a uh, a good sense of humor. Um, had it happened differently, maybe had we not broken down in Chattanooga, had they not had one in stock, had it not been under warranty, um, it would might have been a whole different ball game. But the fact that for everything bad, it was actually not that bad. Um, you know, I was I was willing to take her rudeness with a grain of salt. Um, so. Let's see. Two things I want to talk about before uh, Mr. Good comes on. Uh, one thing I don't have y'all heard about the sand wedge or not the sand, the salt wedge coming up the Mississippi River. Because this is just, I, I'm wondering, wondering what the heck, how this is going to be dealt with. Because New Orleans is not the best when it comes to. New Orleans and specifically Louisiana, also not great infrastructure-wise. But because the Mississippi River is so low, because of how dry it's been, because of how hot it's been, and therefore we've had record low rainfall totals. I mean, we're just so low on rainfall that the water, the, the salt water from the Gulf of Mexico is in a salt wedge is coming up the Mississippi river. And by 
mid mid to late October, it, sh- it unless something changes and we get water and we get some decent rain, we may be getting salt water up to New Orleans, at which point the salt water would be coming into our water treatment plants, and the water treatment plants can't handle taking out the salt out of the water. So therefore, the water no longer becomes drinkable or usable for cooking. Uh, the, the salt water could ruin things like your 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 um, what should I call it? Supposedly, it won't ruin your your washing machine. I think you could use your dishwasher. However, like you don't want to run your ice maker in your in your in your um, you don't want to run your ice maker in your word I'm looking for refrigerator. Yeah, that's the word I'm looking for. My thing I'm wondering about is my hot water heater. My hot water heater. I think might have a small drip coming out of it and it might need to be replaced. But do I replace it this week with the drip coming out of it? Or do I replace it after the wedge? Because if I replace it and the salt water corrodes the new one, then I need to get another one again. So that's, that's one thing I'm having to deal with. But another thing that we're dealing with, that we're dealing with specifically, both me and my wife have sleep apnea. So me and my wife need distilled water. What has happened is everybody and their mother are panic buying water, even though the government is saying don't panic buy water. Because we're not going to have a national shortage of water. We'll be able to get water from other parts of the country and they'll bring it down or whatever. And so they'll distribute water to people that if, when we need it. But people are panic buying water. I'll have extra bottles of Kentwood available. I mean, there'll be, there'll be water available from like the North Shore or from other areas of Louisiana not affected by the salt wedge. It's not that big of a deal. But the people panic buying water are not just panic buying um, purified water or spring water. They're also buying up all the distilled water. So the people who need it for their CPAP machines can't get it. So when I, I went to Target the other day, there was like five bottles of uh, distilled water, or five gallons of distilled water, and they were like two fifty a pop, which is ridiculous for a bottle for a gallon of distilled water. Usually it's like a buck, if that. Um, I went ahead and got two, a because I didn't want to buy all of them because I wanted to make sure that other people who needed distilled water could also get them, and but I wanted to make sure that we also had enough for me and my wife and her CPAP machine. Even though I, in discussions about a completely unrelated topic, I was saying that I just need to stop being the nice guy and stop worrying about all the other crap and, and only worry about myself when worrying about shortages. That's just me ranting and raving about the greediness of other people. At the end of the day, I'm still going to be myself, and I still only bought two and allowed other people to have access to the distilled water in case they needed the distilled water. And if other people were going to be greedy or guilt, greedy about it, it's not going to be me that's going to be preventing people with, other, with CPAP machines from getting the distilled water that they need for their CPAP machines. Because F those other people for buying up all the distilled water. <sighs> oh, Bill P. Buy a home warranty? 
I, I should do a show about home warranties. Home warranty companies are the biggest scammers on the planet. I could do a whole, if I did a, I should do a show on home warranties and it would probably have to be, I would probably have to give warnings before and after like every five minutes, just warning people, anybody new listening, just to be, make sure to keep your children away because this is going to be an expletive laden show because home warranties are the biggest bunch of crooks there are. Screw home warranty companies. Like, apps they will they are worse than insurance companies because they're not regulated as as much as insurance companies so they can get they get away with more crap like in my situation for the home warranty home warranty company we had a situation where um what was it like we had a a a, a drain issue underneath our one of our bathrooms and we want we needed to get checked out and it was in the thing that they don't cover rust and they denied the claim because of rust the plumber never looked in the wall they never cut made a cut into the wall to determine whether or not there was rust or not and when I called up to say they never cut into the wall, they were like, well, it's rust. We're denying the claim. They never looked at it. They never saw rust. They never saw anything. They never cut into the wall. Well, we're, we're still denying the claim for rust. But you never saw rust. They're currently out of business. But I've dealt with other home warranty companies before as well. I will never get a home warranty. I will never get one of those car warranty companies that you see commercials for on the television. Like, No. Like, maybe I'll get an extended warranty through the dealer. Maybe. Because I've I've done okay with those. I've done okay with, like, the extended warranties on some electronics, like through Best Buy and stuff like that. But, like, one time I got I, the, the, the laptop that I got one time, after the regular warranty was up, like, I, it, it was replaced, the, the regular warranty, it, ha, it had to get repaired three times between the regular warranty going out and the extended warranty going out. And it, the third time it had to get repaired was like a month before the extended warranty went out. So I got a brand new laptop a month before the extended warranty land, land so it, it worked out perfectly for me. But... um. The Silly Wonkas, check the car warranty. Yeah, the car warranties don't cover rubber. So, like, you know, you need a tire warranty on that one, which is why in New Orleans, I also always get the tire warranties because in New Orleans, the roads suck. And in New Orleans, you make sure to get the tire warranties to cover the tires, to cover the rims and everything. Because when it rains, you play a game of, of puddle or pothole and you get screwed if you find the pothole and not a puddle. Um... Real people. I pay $3.99 for my water line cover. Did they replace my water heater? No questions asked. They repaired my sewer line too. So, um, which, one would did, which one did you have? Because if it was American Home Shield, I heard a bunch of horrible things about American Home, American Home Shield. 
use home serve warranty company for years, no problem. Well, maybe I'll look into that one, but I don't know. The amount of money I've probably saved not buying a home warranty, not paying monthly costs for a home warranty company. Um, all right, we got to call a hands up. Is this Khalil? Hey. What's going on, Khalil? We got about five minutes before my next guest comes on, but I wanted to grab you before that happens. So what's going on, man? Nothing much. I um, was telling one of the uh, people I know about the um, Occupy movement. Uh-huh. And I was telling them um, how good it was and how um, there were some people that, that basically went to see how good it basically making sure that they were well-behaved, and most of them were well-behaved. But, um, yeah, I um, also um, am thinking of, I'm also a part of uh, Moms Demand Action. I don't know if I told you about that. Mm-hmm. I don't think yeah, so. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a part of that, and I'm going to start doing some uh, letter writing um, on Saturday. Cool. Well, that, that is definitely very good. I like how, um, what was it? I think, what was it? Um, so Bob Gibson, who was worried about the fact that, that the Biden administration created a, 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 a office for uh, gun violence prevention. And I'm like, well, what's wrong with that? I'm like, there shouldn't be, should be nothing wrong with them trying that now. I mean, I could see potentially where, you know, see, wait and see what they do first before, you know, you complain about it. You know, maybe if they do something that you don't like, then maybe we can have a debate about that. But Everybody should be should be fine with ending gun violence. You know, that should well, be fine. Well, these people are wishy-washy. These people uh-huh. don't, don't really – it doesn't amaze me anymore. I wouldn't be surprised if they know it, it is and they don't really care because even a guy, people will complain if you destroy your own firearm. They have a complaint about that too. So Right. And then uh, Larry, Larry Pratt and Alex Jones will say that they would have – ban people like me and you from having a gun because we're liberals. So obviously right. these people know what they're doing. Well, like the people, the people who are so, so, so supposedly pro gun rights are, will be the same people that support stop and frisk. They think stop and frisk yeah. is wonderful because they only support gun rights for white people. They don't support gun rights for black people. Like the NRA yeah never stood up and fought when Ronald Reagan wanted to increase gun control measures in California when they were trying to take away guns from the Black Panthers. They only support right. gun rights for the white people. Like, it's either College Humor or, or some other um, video on YouTube where uh, they, have, they have a video where, it's, where there's two white guys talking about the importance of gun rights and having, you know, the NRA or whatever, and all of a sudden... Uh, a very militant looking black guy comes on talking about how they're going to, you know, how he's going to use the gun and arm all of his brothers and sisters to fight their white oppressors. And, and they're like, well, wait a second, where have you lived? But like, that sounds like a background check to me. And they're like, no, 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 no. And then, and then, and then, so you can see like pointing out this, this extreme hypocrisy that takes place on the part of many a gun rights activist who, who flinch at the idea of melanated folks having weapons too. So, and the worst thing, the worst thing is the deflection when you talk about it. It's that's the worst because it, all it does is allow these people to get away with their hypocrisy when people deflect. Right. Well, I mean that's why I have hypocrite of the week almost every week. <laughs> I couldn't have it this week because of Beyonce because she got she she got the traffic to the Beyonce concert made it so I couldn't have my bits this week. So anyway, 
There were there were tickets to the Beyonce concert going for like thousands and thousands of dollars. Apparently, my wife's out with some friends right now, and she went to dinner, and the people eating next to her were talking about how they bought four tickets for six hundred dollars a pop, but they sold two of the tickets for a thousand dollars each. So, so they so they were able to I guess they got twenty four hundred worth of tickets, but they sold two of them for two thousand. So I guess they they were able to go to the concert for two hundred a pop, which is I guess is a good deal for probably where they were sitting. So, <sighs> yeah. But again, apparently there was some big uh, what call it. Um, there was some big uh, um, bill or discussion about some legislation that they want to do about about concert tickets too, and maybe we'll talk about that some other day because it's getting soon before Ken's going to show up. So. Um, but All yeah, right. since, Ken, since Ken's going to call in, I thank you very much for your call, Khalil. Definitely call back uh, next time. It's good hearing from you. Um, hearing from write you. lots of good letters for Moms Demand Action. That's very awesome of you for doing that. All right, have a good day. Thank you. Bye. You too. Bye. So the other uh, the other bit I want to talk about, uh, the other piece I want to talk about, and we'll probably get to that after Ken comes on, um, will be uh, the summary judgment that came in against uh, Donald Trump. Um, but there's not enough time since he should be calling in the next minute or so. Uh, so we won't be talking about the summary judgment. Uh, let's see. Jeff Curry, I bought a lot of guns. I've never said, oh, that looks like a good one. <laughs> um, Silly Wonka, well, I guess I'll never go to concert again. I got some decent tickets on, um, on one, uh, on some concerts that I've been to recently, but some concerts, yeah, the tickets are absolutely outrageous uh, because like people just get in and they scoop up all the tickets or whatever. Um, it was weird. There was a Garth Brooks concert here, and it was right. It was I forget what it was right before, but I bought I got the tickets for my wife and one of her friends because I mean I know a couple of Garth Brooks songs and I was just I. There was no real way to to effectively pick your tickets. All of the tickets in the Superdome were the same price, which is so it doesn't matter if you got a floor seat or if you sat in like the 600 level nosebleeds, same price. So in reality, it was how badly do you want the seats? Are you going to be on all of the people fighting for the floor seats and then never trying to get them, or are you going to say just just say okay, well I'm just going to just take one of the one of the high nosebleed seats and just deal with it. So eventually, after trying a couple times for a floor seat, I just got my wife one of the ones in kind of the next ring up, and she got perfectly fine seats, and she had a good time at the concert. Um, and fortunately, because I didn't go to the concert, uh, she was able to get me to come. She was able to get me to drop her off and pick her up. So, and because I'm an Uber driver, I know how to get around the area, and so I was very efficient at it. So, anyway, does look like that should be. Uh, Ken calling in right there. So uh, Ken Good graduated from Harding Simmons University in 1982 with a Bachelor of Arts degree. He received a Master's of, Master's of Education in 86 from Tarleton State University, part of the Texas A&M system. In 89, he received his law degree from Texas Tech School of Law, where he was a member of the Texas Tech Law Review. Uh, Mr. Good has argued cases before the Supreme Court of Texas and the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals, along with numerous courts of appeals, including the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit, which is here in New Orleans, uh, he is the author of Goods on Bail, a practice guide created for the bail, for bail industry professionals. And he is, again, we're glad to welcome him back on the show, uh, Mr. Ken W. Good. 
Hello, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. It was interesting to hear you talk about having a flat tire. It made me remember that the first time I had a flat tire was in college, and I was out changing it, and while I was doing that, they announced that uh, President Carter had tried to rescue our hostages in Iran, and it had failed. So it made me think of that story. I hadn't thought of it in years. It tells you huh. how old I am. Wow. Yeah, wow. So, wow. How uh, I was <laughs> three, maybe, <laughs> I think. Three <laughs> well, or four. You were talking you're also talking about going to the store and saying, you know, uh, the big and tall sections over there. When I, when I graduated from law school, I went to uh, Vegas to celebrate. I was 29 years old. I was older when I went to law school. And I went right. gambling, and, and they tried to throw me off the gambling floor because I had such a baby face. They thought I was younger than 18, and I was 29 at the time. And so you know, wow. I, I understand. I understand those things you, where people well, misread who you are and what you are. Because I have a baby face too. It's why that's why I grew up the goatee at 19. Um, but when I was 18, I surprisingly was able to get on to the to the riverboat casino at 18 wow. in in New Orleans, and they didn't question it. And when they 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 <laughs> and then I got to the I got to the table, and I was and I'm sitting there playing blackjack and when I'm playing playing playing, and then the the ho- the uh, pit boss comes up and was like. Uh, do you have a players club card? I'm like, oh no, I don't. Do you want one? I'm like, sure, why not? And she was like, okay, I just need your driver's license to be able to, to be able to, you know, put the information in the system. I need your, I need your date, I need your date, or to put your date of birth in. I'm like, I left it back at the hotel. I'm sorry. And she goes, okay, well, can you give me your date of birth? And so I told her my date of birth, except I added four more years and and just told it to her like that immediately without any hesitation. And she was like, okay, and she brought me the players club card. So I had a players club card with a birthday that was four years older wow. than what I really was. And wow. then, and then like, so the next time I went to the casino, the guy person tried to card me and I was like, oh, I left it back at the hotel, but I have my players club card. They're like, all right, I guess you can come in since you have a players club card. I'm like, all right, cool. So I guess, I've I guess I'm good. A, I've always, I guess I'm I've always good had bluffer. the opposite problem. When the first time <laughs> I argued a case at the Supreme court of Texas, I I met my client there the day before and he met me and he looked at me and he said, you're not arguing my case tomorrow. And I'm like, well, why not? He said, you're too young. And I'm like, <laughs> well, you got a problem. Cause I'm the only one prepared to argue your case tomorrow. Right. And so we went, we argued it. And then, you know, they always, at that time, it was so long ago, they had a reception after the oral arguments and you know, several law clerks came up and my, I was talking to my client and they came up and said, you had the best argument today. And my client swore I paid him off to say that because of our conversation earlier. <laughs> but so, I'm, I mean, the first time I ever went to a hearing as an attorney, and I was older, you know, the judge looked at me and said, Mr. Good, when your dad gets here, we'll start. So, you know, now that I'm in my 60s, I don't have that problem as much anymore. Right. So, I, I'm, you know, even though I have the, you know, I have the baby face, but I do have a little bit of gray coming in right now. So, I'm less likely to have that problem. But I... I still don't like how I look without the goatee, so it's it's I, that's why I keep it on. So, anywho, well, so I, I still I I look younger, but you know the year the year that people keep guessing that I look keeps getting older and older, which is hilarious. True. Yeah. So, anyway, so we got the um, state of state of Illinois. Um, yeah. Let's see, uh, Illinois. Let's see, blah 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 blah. 
in addition to eliminating cash bail, the Illinois Pretrial Fairness Act clarifies that everybody is eligible for pretrial release, and the government's it is it's the government's burden uh, to prove that everybody should everyone anyone should be detained. So basically, um, so th- th- so basically, we kind of discussed a little bit about bail reform earlier. The last time was was kind of the topic we were discussing um, as to whether or not we should have it, and and, and some cities and, and municipalities that had put it into effect. Um, this is this has gone into effect what nine days ago, I guess now. Um, so yeah. I guess it's it's Just maybe a little minutes. early. It's a little early to judge what's happened in Illinois because again, it's only nine days ago. But you know, there are people with concerns about you know what may happen, and I'm guess I'm sure you have some. And and based on you know you know you'll, you'll raise your arguments about that. But um, I guess that's one of the things. I guess that's from the ACLU side as to saying like that uh, the government should have a burden to prove that anybody should be detained um, pre-trial. Now, I mean, I think that should be important. Like, I mean, should, should, the government should have to prove that it that people should have to be detained, um, shouldn't they? Well, let me state that a different way. Do you think the government should have a mini-trial within 24, 48 hours of arresting someone to det- uh, and you know, should they decide? Well, we want to give out all the evidence that we have within 24, 48 hours of arrest. Uh, show the holes in their case, or show all their evidence. I mean, you know, or or we should we put a burden on the government that they have to prepare or be prepared for a mini trial or a trial on just a release within 48 hours of arrest. I think the problem that I have with what the position the ACLU is taking is. That's actually been rejected by the courts. It's been rejected by the 11th Circuit, and it's been rejected by the 5th Circuit, which are the two courts of appeals that have addressed the issue. You know, we've been told, or we were told originally, we're going to have to have bail reform because uh, surety bail is unconstitutional. Well, we've had two courts of appeals that have addressed it say, no, they're wrong, it's constitutional. They've also said that argument by the ACLU was wrong. You don't have a right to release, you know, it's not an issue of you're innocent until proved guilty. The issue at release is, will you come back? And, you know, I was looking today at the history of bail reform in Illinois, and, you know, we have all these papers that we now know are just absolutely not true. That, oh, if we release, release people, they'll come back. People want to resolve their cases. Well, that's not true in California. It's not true in Harris County. It hasn't been true. It's been proven not to be true in New York. Uh, when you have an 80% failure to appear rate in California on misdemeanor cases, you have it in Harris County, uh, Texas, that proves to you people will not come back if there's no accountability. And so then we hear, well, if, if, we, if, we don't talk, if we just don't prosecute misdemeanor crime, we'll have less crime. We can release more people from jail, we'll have less crime. Well, that's been proven not true as well. Look at California where they released 30,000, 40,000 people from jail under court order and crime has gone up. And so well, I, I think, think that's, we keep that's, hearing the same arguments, and they've all been proven to not be true over the last few years during the pandemic. Well, I think that's two different issues. I think that, that whether or not we should prosecute misdemeanor crimes and whether or not we should have um, bail for uh, – whether or not we should have cash bail are, are two different things. I mean, I, th- I don't think we should necessarily muddy the water with one or the other. There may be very well be people who argue whether or not there should be prosecutions for misdemeanors or not. Um, and, and that could be a topic that, that's at hand. I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily agree with 
the concept that all misdemeanors should go untried. You know, maybe certain things shouldn't be misdemeanors in the first place. Um, maybe I, th- I think we have a system of laws that that over, that have that has too much crime. Too much things are crimes. There are things that are victimless that shouldn't be crimes to begin with. That's overly burdensome on the system. But that's again not not I, related I agree. to that's a di- that's a different but, but, issue. But let me just make one point on victimless crimes. You could argue all property crimes are victimless because they're insured. And I think everything going on in California completely shoots that out of the water because it's a sliding scale. No uh, no property crime under $950, runaway shoplifting, closing stores because they can't withstand uh, $25,000 of shoplifting, drugs going rampant, people closing businesses, businesses closing because they can't provide a safer work environment for their employees. Uh, granted, I, I, I would not, I wouldn't not make that argument that. that I wouldn't argue that property crime is victimless. I wouldn't argue that theft is victimless, even if it's insured. I wouldn't argue that. Um, yeah. but, you know, but, but, I wouldn't but, make you know, that. When argument. we're talking today about cash and bail, we have to first agree on what we're talking about. You know, that when they say they got rid of cash bail, well, it just automatically sounds like well they're getting rid of the private surety, uh, private surety bail, but that's not what we're talking about. Uh, Illinois got rid of the private industry probably a decade ago before this. And so mm-hmm. as crime has been going up, it's because, I would argue it's because they got rid of the, the, the best uh, component of the, uh, the criminal justice system for getting people to court. So what they were left with was what they call cash bail, but it's where the family either posts a cash bond or a 10% of the amount of bond. And, you know, they were arguing, well, we're getting rid of the middleman where we got rid of the bond, bail bond business, bail bond, private surety bail system. And, you know, that just assumes that the private surety bail system doesn't do anything. And, but, but, but we could talk about that for a whole episode as well, but that's not really sure. what we're talking about. We're talking about what is the cash bail system? Well, the cash bail system that Illinois got rid of was requiring people to post a cash bond or requiring them to post 10% of the amount of bail set by the court. And what's the problem with that? Well, they have none of the benefits of the private industry. Nobody's going to get people when they show up for, fail to show up for court. They're just issuing a warrant, which is what happens when the government, when you give them a personal bond, they issue a warrant. It goes down to the warrant department. It joins all the other warrants waiting to be served, which means you have to commit another crime. And the courts start relying upon either the cash bond or the 10% for operations. And, you know, you're seeing people, uh, courts in Illinois coming out now saying, here's how much money we're going to have as a shortfall. And it's not just, you know, tens of thousands, it's not hundreds of thousands, it's millions of dollars. And when they did this safety act, they didn't do a replacement for that. And so, you know, talk about chaos. We already have chaos in Illinois. And he's like, well, there's the question. It hasn't been in effect long enough. I mean, there's no one predicting that it's not going to be anything but a lot worse than what it is. And you can look at history in other counties that have tried this or other states, and you would say they've all had the same result. So I, I would argue that what the Illinois Supreme Court did was, you know, the legislature passed a piece of partisan legislation, and they were counting on the courts to save them from themselves because they put themselves in a box. And I think the Supreme Court of Illinois said, don't rely upon us to fix your problems. Go fix it yourself. And I think that's what they did. They kicked it back into their court because 
their analysis was really contrary to what I would say uh, the body of law that has been in existence uh, that they should have relied upon. Well, let's 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 take a look at some of the, some some of the stuff that that you you had mentioned from from what you had said. Um, uh, one of the things that you know I find you know, interesting. I mean, I guess because I mean I didn't know. I guess that Illinois hadn't relied on like bail bondsmen for what you said the last ten years or so. Is that what you yeah, said? Yeah, they got rid of them for a period. Of, yeah, they've gotten they've already removed them some period back. Okay, and but like, you know, so was, we're just getting rid of the middleman. You know, we're just getting rid of the middleman. That's assuming okay. they do nothing. Right. So so like one one could make the argument and and I think I might have brought this sure. up last time and and you know, just 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 for argument's sake that that there is there is definitely a as as a person involved in the in the you know, the bail bonds industry and someone who represents the bail bonds industry that that you that y'all y'all do have a reason to want to see bail bonds continue because you know if bail if, if the entire country you know decided that we're going to get rid of cash bail then there's no reason for bail bondsmen to exist so the industry goes away so therefore you know every, every bail bondsman is out of a job so there's there's then a reason for you to advocate for the existence of bail bonds so you know so there's so there's there's a reason for some people that some people might be suspect as to you know that there there's a personal bias there that that could exist on the part whether or not the rest of the arguments are valid or not some people are going to be suspect of of that of of that simply because of that i mean the, the how do you deal with that okay so here's what i would say i don't have to respond to that argument so let me quote a democrat mayor from durham north carolina who was on news nation on a town hall talking about rising crime and she's a former judge and so she's not pro bail she's not a pro bondsman she's a democrat and she said until you have an alternative to the private industry that has the same accountability rate or the same appearance rate then you don't have an alternative and that's really where we are and all the things that we're trying, these 10% bonds, these cash bonds, have a much worse failure to appear rate. And as a result, you know, we start having more chaos. We have to discount crime. We have to, uh, because cases can't go forward if people don't show up. But if you've got Democrats now recognizing that if you don't have an alternative that has the same failure to appear rate and the same level of accountability as the private industry, that you don't have an alternative, well, that's explains why the bail industry has been around for 200 years because you know and i know it's not a popularity contest that's kept us around and there's been Mm -hmm. other pushes to get rid of the private bail industry the only reason why it's been sustained for 200 years is because it does one thing and it does it well and i tell judges all the time if you don't care whether people come to court then you don't need it you don't need the private industry but if you do care whether people come to court you want to encourage or you want to push as many people as you can to the private sector because they have the lowest failure to appear rate. They will get your cases quicker through the system. They'll get justice to victims quicker than any other release mechanism. So what what is the failure to appear rate on average when in systems that utilize bail bondsmen? Well, the bail industry has a rule of thumb for itself. If your failure to appear rate 
is more than 10%, you're going to go out of business. So we're talking less than 10% versus like in Harris County or in California for any misdemeanor crime, they have an 80% failure to peer rate. If you look at HarrisCountyCourtWatch.com in Harris County, there's an 80% failure to peer rate over a two-year period for misdemeanors. And I keep quoting misdemeanors, but this is also bleeding over into our felony uh, dockets as well as we start trying these alternative release mechanisms, which are not really alternatives. I mean, like I can point to like Washington, D.C., um, who that has been doing, um, you know, has attempted to, you know, take steps to eliminate cash bail since like the 60s. Um, and in like 2019, according to the figures, more than um, 90% of arrested people were released without cash bail and 88% appeared for court. So, I mean, the difference between 88% and 90%, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, I mean, I guess you would say that's a failure because it's less, it's, it's 12% instead of 10%. But I mean, it, it's not. No, no, no. Now, I've, I've done a podcast with uh, a former attorney general type person for uh, Washington DC district who was in charge mm-hmm. of all that stuff. And uh, his name was Frederick Cook. And he told me that, first of all, he agrees that even in Washington DC, their failure to appear rate is still higher than the private industry. Not as much, just like you mentioned. But the other thing that he pointed out is it's been around so long. He said it is so expensive to operate the um, uh, system that you're talking about for D.C. He said if, if they were voting today to decide whether to uh, utilize that system, he said it would fail because it, co- it is so expensive. And all these alternatives that we're trying across, across the country, it's not to spend more money. It's to save money. Look at New Jersey. The New York, New Jersey plan had a statewide pretrial services department that they created and it ran out of money. They had to do a statewide uh, tax increase to fund it. And it still ran out of money again. And you've not seen one state willing to follow that model since then. I mean, but just because New Jersey may have had a flawed model doesn't necessarily mean that all models are going to be flawed. Well, true, um, but you go, D.C.'s been so expensive that, you know, the guy said that they wouldn't do it again if they had it today. The only other example would be New Jersey, and it was so expensive it went out of business. So what I'm saying is to get something comparable to the private industry, which is free to the taxpayers, that the that is so expensive, it's not an alternative. So the other side of the coin, though, so there's also before I get to that other side of the coin, there's also the cost of having the cash bail systems. Um, I, I, for some reason, I don't know why I didn't save this link for where I got this data from, but uh, cash bail systems cost, according to the one link that I got, again, I don't know why I didn't save the link, in 2017, cost about $38 million each day. Uh, to incarcerate people pre-trial after accounting for the indirect cost of pre-trial incarceration. The true cost of pre-trial incarceration is estimated to be close to $140 billion. Um, but again, I'm not aware of what the costs are otherwise. I don't know if the costs of eliminating cash bail and those costs of dealing with that would be more or less than $140 billion. I mean, so I, I guess that, that's the other part. Like, do, I don't know what the costs of like the DC and the New Jersey, if they were expanded nationwide or if we took the lessons learned from whatever the costs were from dc or new jersey and improved upon them 
would we save money on top of what the existing cash bail system costs? So, well, but you're not saying the cash bail system costs anything because we don't cost the tax, or it does not cost the taxpayers anything. What you're saying is to leave people in jail costs this amount, and I'm, I'm a guess. I guess you're saying that right, if, uh, when right. you have the private bail system, they don't bail everybody out. Because I'm telling you, the bail industry doesn't make money if they don't bail people out of jail. Everyone, they get, every person they bail out is an absolute savings to the county, and so. You know, right, but not everybody can afford to get big bailed out. That's true. Not everybody. Right, can and, afford and, to be and, out. and and that, know, that that brings us to the other the other important part of the issue. So um, I got think, this article. Do you think that a court cannot? Do you think that in the United States today, if you have a substantial criminal history and you've been arrested twenty times, do you think a court should not have the ability to say you should not be bailed out? You should be kept in jail. I mean, that's really the argument that the other side makes, is the court should never pretrial have the ability to deny bail to anybody, no matter what their criminal history is. No, I, I, think, that a, I think that a court should be able to – I think that the state should be able to say – no, I, I think it's the opposite. I think that the state should be able to say, look, this person is a career criminal, and therefore – we that's why we're going to make the argument that we should be able to put this person in in pre put this person in jail pre-trial because they've proven with their history of crimes that they are they are a risk to continue to commit crimes however if but i this, think what but i think what you would argue is well they have to have a mini trial and they have to put on evidence and it's the burden of the state to do that when under the current system you know we have a hearing i mean you know there's there's a bottleneck at arrest, and you know, in our urban areas, let's just assume you're getting a thousand people a day arrested. I mean, can you imagine that we've got? If you want to detain somebody, you think they have a substantial criminal history, and you're you've got to have a hearing before they can be detained, where you've got to put on evidence. You can see very quickly that the chaos that that creates. I would argue that that's what the, you know, that is what's wanted. Let's create so much chaos that you can't keep anybody in jail. I don't. I don't so think we, so. But I mean, well, let's let's take for example. Well, let's take for example. So let, let's say for example, you had a, a situation where you had like several people waiting for their waiting for their pretrial hearing or whatever, waiting for their whether or not they're going to be you know put in jail before their hearing or not. You know, so person A mm -hmm. walks up, they they take their information down and say, okay, let's look up this person's record. Oh, this person does not have a criminal record. This person, you know, has mm -hmm. never done any crimes before and they're accused of petty theft. Um, okay. okay. Um, judge says, okay, I don't necessarily see any, any history of crime. Um, so we're going to go ahead and say, we're not going to put them, we're not going to lock them up. We're going to, we're going to say, well, you're going to have to come back on this particular date. Um, there you go. You, you get to go. No, and then well, the okay. person, so the person B, comes up. Released. Right, they get, so they get released. get released on their on their recognizance. So, so person B mm -hmm. comes up, and this is assuming no cash bail system. Person B comes up and says, "Okay, well, let's. This person has also been charged for the same crime, but this person has a a rap sheet a mile long where they've done many, 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 many crimes. So, okay, mm -hmm. this person can't be trusted to not do crime." 
we're going to lock them up because then the state's going to make the argument. Well, this person, we, we're going to show to judge, we, we have this, this, we, we, the, the burden of proof is on us to show that this person shouldn't be released to the public because they are a career criminal and they, and they can't stop themselves from committing crimes. Here's the evidence of all this past crime. You know, it should take, you know, look at the rap sheet, look at, look at the, look at every single crime that they've been convicted of previously um, we, they should not be released because they're just going to go commit more crimes while waiting for trial. And the judge would be like, okay, lock them up. So, you know, put them in jail and for, for trial. And that, that should be, that, that, that shouldn't require a, a long trial. That should require a very short hearing, in my opinion. Now, well, that, I, I don't okay, I think. Okay, burden of proof is it? It should that, be the state. Under that scenario. Well, the why, state why, should be. Why? Why should because, it be the state? Why shouldn't it be the judge's job? to set bail and not the state because under the system you just talked about, if the state, if, if we've got a serial killer who we've arrested for theft and he shouldn't be out of jail, but if the, if the DA screws up and doesn't put on any evidence, well, then the judge's hands are tied. He knows what the real reality is, but his hands are tied because it's the state's burden of proof and he has to rule that they didn't meet it. Why isn't it just like, it is right now. Why isn't it an abusive discretion standard? It's the judge's duty to set bail. What, what, what's the, what, what, I'm, I'm a little confused about the scenario. So how do you know there is well, the serial difference killer? Is, well, okay. I mean, the, the difference is it's the judge's responsibility to set bail instead of the burden of proof being on the prosecutor. And the only thing the judge is there is to determine whether they met their burden of proof. The majority of systems in Texas, it's the judge's responsibility to set bail, not the prosecuting attorney, not the DA, you know, especially in our urban areas right now where we're having problems with DAs saying they don't want to prosecute murderers. And so they don't even want to put them in jail. And, you know, and then we go back to the original problem that we have with your scenario. Under that system, it's really a release or detain model. And that's like the feds. Well, the feds detain 70-something, 70 75% of the people arrested. We can't do that at the state level. We arrest many more crimes and many more misdemeanors that we can't hold. And so advocating for that, if we switch that, would create exactly what is wanted, chaos. It would prevent us from really doing anything. It would create de facto decriminalization of the misdemeanors because we don't have room for them in the jail. And so it would do the opposite of what you're arguing. Do you have, do you have an example of, of, of prosecutors in Texas that are not going after murderers? No, but you do in uh, California. You have, you know, look at the uh, Gascon in L.A. where the, um, uh, his office was asked about uh, not prosecuting certain crimes or advocating for lesser prim- penalties. And they were talking about the victims. And his office's response was, well, we just have a disagreement over who the real victims are. And, you know, the problem I have with that is if the DA is arguing for the defendants and the defense attorney who's, who's appointed by the court to advocate for the defendant is advocating for the defendant, well, then in L.A. County, who's advocating for the victim of the crime, who had the crime committed on them? And the answer to that right now is nobody. 
I mean, but that's still not necessarily saying that they're that they're choosing to not go after murderers. I think that's a little overly sensational, in, in my opinion. Well, it pro- okay, I, I'm not going to disagree with you that it's not overly sensational. But with Gascon, I don't disagree. I don't agree that that's not true. I mean, so are you, are you so you're suggesting that Gascon in L.A. is is letting go people who commit violent crimes, be, or, or and or murders because of he's caring too much about the criminals and not the murderers, or he's just letting go certain criminals because he's trying to consider the situation of the criminals in particular. I think that there are multiple examples in LA where uh, the the DA's office has gone in and advocated for uh, much less punishment than they historically have been done, especially like on the three strikes route, which is, uh, a rule in California that he was originally telling his office not to uh, follow. So I do believe that there are multiple examples where he was advocating that the court should not follow the law on punishing criminals, including murderers. Uh, repeat that again. I, I kind of not punishing criminals, including murderers, under uh, as required by California law that he is sworn to defend. I don't. I don't think that's. I don't think that's anywhere close to not being true. I think that is a. a Great example of the types of things he's doing. And, uh, I'm and trying the, to see. And, you know, the, so the problem. Okay, so what I would turn it back to you and just say is, what is our model for keeping public safety? You know, look at our urban areas right now, where we have shoplifting, businesses running. I mean, there was Target announced they were closing stores yesterday because of shoplifting. Losing right. billions of dollars a year on shoplifting, which turns out to be three hundred million dollars in taxes that are not being paid. I mean, mm-hmm. you could look. I mean, I just wrote an article about the spiral of death of our urban cities in four phases. You know, the next phase that that we're just now starting is, you know, you're going to have commercial properties that are so low on their occupancy rate they're going to start uh, defaulting on their loans. Uh, the average occupancy rate in, in San Francisco right now is 30-something percent. I mean, the uh, Nancy Pelosi Federal Building, they, they just told all their employees they work from home. It's not even safe to walk into the building or park your car in the neighborhood. I mean, that's not sustainable. And so what is the model? What is, how do we fix that? It's not just not prosecuting crime. It's not not arresting people, and it's not, not – uh, prosecuting people for shoplifting, that's just made it where these cities are going to die. And what's going to happen to all these people living there that can't afford to move? They're not going to have the tax revenue to take care of them. That's phase four if we're not careful. That's why you're seeing mayors step up and say, we have an unsustainable crime problem. We need a state emergency. We we had the NAACP from Oakland uh, attack the local elected officials in the last month and a half, saying we need a state of emergency on crime. Because it is not sustainable. And I can agree that something has to be done with crime, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that the the way that we handle bail is is is, is good. That's the thing: is that the way that we handle well, crime doesn't would, necessarily mean I would that we argue should. That the way we handle bail is the cause of of what we're doing. Part of the cause of what we're doing with crime, because it creates such chaos, you have no other choice but to create crime. Uh, address crime in this way. So like, for example, like one of the, in my research for the show, 
Um, sure. I, I've been trying to find, you know, articles dealing with, you know, you know, the other side of the arguments of this. Um, University of Chicago Press Journal is something, um, the heavy cost of high bail evidence from judge randomization um, is uh, in the United States says roughly 450,000 people are detained awaiting trial on any, any given day because they've not posted bail. Um, they use a large sample in criminal cases in Philadelphia and Pittsburgh. Um, and their estimates suggest that the assignment of money bail leads to a 12% increase in the likelihood of conviction and a six to nine percent increase in recidivism. So, so people are, are more likely to get convicted, and that doesn't necessarily say whether or not those people are, are actual guilty or innocent or not, because they're because they get because they get put hey. charged bail, and they're they're more likely to repeat their crimes if they are if they're charged bail because they they have. They, they could not be free pre-trial. Um, so, and that, that leads to one of the other issues is that the effects on bail or the effect of bail creates what I've talked about, what we talked about last time is that there's a two-tier system of justice. People with money can get released, go home to their communities. People with, without money remain incarcerated. They risk losing their jobs. They risk... Uh, that their families suffer because of it. And, and, you know, regardless of whether or not they're factually guilty or not. Um, and even, and, you know, we live in a society where we're supposed to be innocent until proven guilty. Um, so if there's no, if there's no reason to keep, so if, 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 you, if the state, again, if the state can't prove that there's a reason, reason for public safety to keep somebody detained before their trial, then why are we going to have, risk that and so if somebody is is already not well off enough to be able to afford to be able to handle whatever bail requirements there are then why that then all you're doing is putting those people into more and more poverty because they, they they're stuck in prison they lose their job they're just stuck in jail they lose their job their family loses their their means to pay their bills and they're then more likely to then commit crimes. And then the people that they're, they're now hanging out with may very well be other criminals and maybe perhaps hardened criminals. And then now what do they have to resort to? Because now they, they can't have a, a real job because they're, they're stuck in, in jail. And sometimes you have situations where uh, you have individuals who, because they see the hopelessness of the situation where they might just say, okay, fine, I'll take a plea not because I'm factually guilty, but because this is going to be the fastest way to, for me to get out of this BS and get back to my life. And now they have a record, even though they might've been factually innocent, but there's, they, they don't see any, any, they don't see it. They don't see any other quicker way to, to be able to get back to their family to help support their families. And I've heard of in, in New Orleans, that happens a lot. So yeah, there's a, there's a bunch of stuff to unpack there. And I would say, uh, the first thing I would say is, if you are in jail and you have a criminal record and the judge says, I'm not lowering your bail and you can't afford that bond, you're not in jail because you're in poor. You're in jail because if you have a criminal record. And I think that's the way bail is supposed to work. I'm sorry. Uh, then I would say, okay, you're saying that the current bail system, according to this study, and I'll get to the studies in a minute, 
says is that there's a 12% greater chance that they're going to plead guilty. The system. No, no, not, not plead guilty. There's a, there's a 12% chance that they're going to be convicted. Okay, 12, a, a 12% greater chance. percent greater chance that they're going to be convicted look, simply because. Okay. Let's compare that to Harris County that just, would, I would argue, has put in place the very types of reforms that are being advocated for, and they did it under a settlement. And now, you know, the case that they did the settlement under has been held, has been reversed, and has been held that it should have never even been filed in federal court, but the settlement still persisted, persists. I looked at the disposition for August of 2022 for the month, because every month, the county uh, uh, issues of list of here's all the cases that were disposed of this month. Over 90% of those cases were dismissed because they have such a high failure to appear rate. Nobody comes to court. They can't go forward with the case without them. So they can either put it on hold or they can dismiss the case. And I do not believe that a system that dismisses 90% of the misdemeanor cases is a better system than the, the current bail system. Maybe we need to tweak it. Maybe we need to improve it. We should always be looking to improve. But I do not believe that the system that's being advocated, when you've got Democrat mayors saying, until you have the same appearance rates, you say have the same accounting, they're not alternatives. And I think you can see this. Now let's talk about the studies. You know, if you just look back six years ago, there were studies that were being touted by these same groups saying, oh, crime would go down if we just uh, did not prosecute misdemeanor crimes. And, and they were touting that as a study. And then at the same time, they were touting crime. We will be safer if we release more people from jail on the same arguments you're making. And the problem that we have is I think the, everything that we've seen since then has proven that those were absolutely not true. I mean, absolutely not true. And let me tell you, and I'll, I'll just stop with my last point on this issue is, you know, the rules that we're, we're talking about, the rules that are being advocated are rules to really tie the hands of the judges. And they're doing it in, in good, with good intentions to protect the poor, to protect families. But at the same time, when we tie the hands of the judges, not only can they not address that, they can't address gangs, they can't address career criminals, and they can't address organized crime. And that's where we're having a problem because we can't figure out a way to, dis to differentiate between that because we want everybody to be treated the same. And so but we're our trying these new systems that have never been proven to work, and we're getting these terrible results. And just like here, we're saying, well, it can't be the bail system. We, it's got to be something else. No, it starts there and builds from chaos. But are we tying the hands of the judges, or are, are we saying – to the judges that they, the judges are allowed to they're still allowed to listen to the to the arguments of the, of the DAs of the, of the state and the judges are just saying okay well if if you have if you're a career criminal if the if the state says hey this is a career criminal and it doesn't matter you know that's not what, that's not what their what background is that's not what we did in New York in New York we said here's a list of crimes and if you are arrested on one of these crimes you have to be re released with no bail no matter how many times you're arrested for that crime. We have now had three or four different rollbacks in New York since the start of the pandemic, saying that just is not working. But yet, that's what these uh, our friends are advocating for. We want to treat everybody the same. So no matter how many times you're arrested for this charge, you get treated the same. You get released. 
without bail. And you know who's seeing that and seeing a green light to commit crime like crazy is gangs and organized crime. And they're making a killing out of it, and they're getting away with it because we've essentially decriminalized those crimes. Well, one part, I mean, you're obviously, I mean, you're conservative, right? I mean, right? Well, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't think public safety is a conservative liberal. Okay, issue, but, and I don't, but, but sure, but, but I mean, classify me as conservative. I'm law and order. I don't think that's a conservative liberal issue. But okay, uh, but but you, a but lot of the times people who I mean, you're probably politically more to the right than I am. I, I would make that argument. And a lot of the times that individuals who are who are who are more to the right than I am uh, will, will make the argument um, about many issues that states are supposed to be what's what's the word I'm looking for states are supposed to be um what's the oh then I I had the word in off the top of my head um little experiments in democracy or or a little little mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where 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 that's where you try things on the state level you, you, you do your experiment on the state level see see if things work see you test it you, you experiment you see see if if it doesn't work and then you could like manipulate it and change it so isn't that kind of what we're doing here though is is that okay so new jersey is trying something new york is trying something california is trying illinois is trying something all of these states are trying something to to try and and fix something that they view as a problem And, and and one of the things that all of these states view as a problem is the fact that there is a racial disparity or an an economic disparity in in how people are treated in the court system when Rich people can just can get can okay. just get bail and get and pay a bail and get out, and poor people are stuck and sitting in jail no, waiting for their no. case. This is this is where you get. I mean, okay, like I haven't already been on my soapbox. So I apologize, but this really is okay, no my soapbox. And the reason why is because fifty percent of all murder victims in the United States right now are young black males, and the people that are killing them are also young black males. And before this rising crime was taking place, we had reduced the death rate of young black males to the point where we were, uh, we had added two years to their uh, life expectancy, which is the equivalency of curing uh, obesity. And so uh, to say now that we're going to favor their, their, the people who did the crime over the people who are having the crime committed them when they're both of the same racial groups, I mean, that statistic on its face shows that we, that we have a, a minority group committing certain crimes at a larger uh, percentage than other racial groups. There is nothing wrong with saying we have a crime problem, but we have certain racial groups committing crimes at a larger uh, percentage than other groups. And there, I mean, it, it, that's a known fact. It's a proven fact. But we keep, see, keep saying, well, we have larger percentage of certain races in the jail, and that proves that they're racist. No, it proves we have well, a crime but that's, problem. That's not, the argument that, that's not the argument that I'm making, though. I'm not making the argument about who's committing more crime. I'm still making the, I'm making the argument that those people are, are more likely to, to have, for the same crime, they're more likely, uh, a black person is more likely for the same crime to get, to, to have like a higher cash bail amount set than a white person. A black person is more likely for the same crime to 
you know, to be to be sitting in jail longer than a white person. A black person is more I likely. Don't, I don't agree to, with that. I don't agree. That's an old argument. That's a 20-year-old argument. Because in our urban cities today, the person who likely arrested that minority is the same minority. The prosecutor for that minority is the same minority. The judge is the same minority. The person in the jail, the jailer is the same minority. So that is not true anymore. That's that's an argument that is 20 years past due. But just just because those individuals belong to the same ethnic or racial group, it doesn't mean that the system still isn't disproportionately harming people of that racial group. You will not convince me that that black on black or they're being racist on uh, on their own races because they're the judges and they're and they have to be racist on them. I don't I don't believe that. Well, let's let's take a step back for a second on this, because the the idea of, of systemic issues is not an individual on individual thing. It's how society treats groups. It's when we're talking about systemic issues, we're not talking about how individuals treat individuals. We're talking about how how society treats groups. So in, people who are part of individual like who are part of those minority groups can still be parts of those systems of power that can have an impact and in fact can, can still perpetuate those issues. And that's a whole other show that we can have. But um, <laughs> let's kind of roll back to, to the uh, something somebody in the chat had mentioned that, that, that is a good point that I wanted to kind of roll, get back to because um, let's get back to like the, the scenario of, of like the person person accused of a crime, you know, of a nonviolent crime. Um, okay. Nonviolent crime, they're sitting there, um, no history of any other crime in the, in the past. Should that, okay. person, should that person be released on their own recognizance? Should that person have to be, pay any sort of bail to, to... Okay. Well, I mean, I would say they should be... I mean, I would say that there is no... There's no county in Texas where they would be held. Now, I'm not going to say outside of Texas because my area of knowledge is Texas because I don't believe that our jails have room for first-time offenders with no criminal history for nonviolent offenses. But I would say in our rural areas, I would agree with you that they might have a low bond and, and because there's a benefit still to our uh, nonviolent offenders who have no criminal history to have uh, a private surety bondsman, and because when you say, okay, well, why should we have them? Well, that's assuming that they don't that the bail industry doesn't do anything. I mean, there's a reason why they have the lowest failure to appear rate. There's a reason why you know they have the secret sauce of getting family people involved, getting people to court, reminding people to go to court, and when they don't, or if they have difficult go difficulty getting to court, they go get them and take them to court. They help them get there. They build personal relationships. There's value in that, even on the low-level offenders, on the first-time offenders. If, if they appear that they're going to need to be reminded, if they look like they're, you know, a little troubled Johnny, there's still value in having the private industry involved. I don't know. I worked, I worked for a private contractor right before the pandemic started that, that did work for the uh, Jefferson Parish Clerk of Courts, and I worked mm-hmm. on code that helped people with with trial reminders as to that they had to make an appearance to court and they send and and they they you don't need anybody else they'll send text message reminders to people um to let them know that they have they have to go appear before court 
And how do I know this? Is because every time they every time they run the test, every time they do testing on the code, uh, my phone number is still in there for the testing in the testing part. And occasionally, I get a reminder that I have to go to court because they haven't removed my phone number from every bit of the testing area. So every now and then, I still get a text saying, "Hey, you have to go appear in front of court." I'm like, "What?" I'm like, "Oh." That's my. That's still my testing code I, I, that they haven't know, removed yet. I, I so I, I don't. I don't. I don't think you. I'm not going to. I'm not going to disagree necessarily... with you that having reminders like that is not a value. It's not going to increase the appearance rate. It's still not going to get you to the level you need because, I mean, you remember we're dealing with nomads who have not been successful in society. I mean, Harris County at one point was proposing that we're just going to buy them phones. And so we can text those phones and, you know, you're dealing with people who either lose the phone or are going to sell the phones for drugs. They're not going to have them for more than a month or two. And so in two months, you know, your, your text message success rate is still going to have some success, but it's going to be cut in half by the people who are just going and selling the phones for other purposes or lose them because they're not getting, they're not successful in this. They're in, they're nomads. They're, they're constantly on the move. So I think it is very Pollyannic to say, oh, we can just have a text message reminder and that'll solve the whole problem. We don't need the private bail industry. That's absolutely been said and it's never been proven. And I but would that, say it's been disproven. But that kind of, you know, kind of goes after my kind of whole point, though, is that if, if the individual, like, is a first time. Uh-huh. It's a first-time charge. I'm not even going to say a first-time offender because if, if this is the first time this person's ever been charged of a crime and like to, to, to even have the, for anybody is, that's part of the system to have all of those thoughts, like anybody who's in the system, you know, I mean, while, while a private bail bonds person is technically not part of the government, you know, you're still doing work on behalf of the quasi. government, you yeah, know, it's quasi. quasi-governmental. So it's, it's, you know, again, the government is supposed to treat people as if they're innocent until proven guilty. So, yeah, but whoa, you know, whoa, whoa, this has nothing to do with innocence or guilt. This is right, but you're, you're assuming, you're, but, but hold court. on, let me, let me finish my, no, let me finish no, no, my no, point. No. Wait, 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 let me finish my point because I did let you have a good long point to make your point. <laughs> let me finish my point. I, 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 I've been very good about letting you talk for a while without interrupting you. you so let me make look, my point. I apologize. Right? I apologize. Okay. I apologize. I know. I mean, you're an attorney, and you like. I know, I know attorneys love to talk. So, I mean, I I, I don't begrudge you for that. But <laughs> all right. Hey, so talk about my wife that way. She's an attorney as well. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, hey, I, that that must make that must make any uh, arguments interesting. Um, no, but, I know my wife's in charge. Clearly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, happy spouse, happy house, right? Um, Absolutely. Anyway, so anyway. My point is, is, is that point. my point is that, you know, it, my, you know, lefty liberal view is that, you know, we, we if, if the person is, is has never been charged with a crime before, has is, is, is coming before the court with a with a I'll, I mean, I'll even go so far as to say is a low level nonviolent crime, because like um, I would argue that um, Senator Menendez is not a violent crime, but it's definitely not low level. Um, he and has previous arrest. He has previous arrest. He doesn't have a previous conviction, but he does have previous arrest. He, he, he got which he is got means fortunate he criminal history. He got he got fortunate with 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 a hung jury. Um, 
you know, I talked about this Monday. I said he should resign. Um, but, you know, because you don't yeah, just happen. Yeah, but the conservatives are just the conservatives are just saying he's the sacrificial lamb to to cover for Hunter. Yeah. Well, Hunter pled guilty, and then the judge did that away too. So whatever, we, we're not talking about. <laughs> that. But anyway, point is, is that you you're there. You've never committed a crime before. You never you, you've 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 never committed any crime before. You're charged with a with a low level nonviolent crime. You know, the system's supposed to be treating you as if you're innocent. You should not be, the system should be making assumptions about you and what you may or might not do as it comes to, are you going to appear or not? The system should just basically be assuming, okay, you, we're just going to assume that you're going to follow the law and do everything that you're supposed to do. We're going to give you all your instructions. We're going to give you everything that you need to do. And as, and as long as you follow through with it, we're going to treat you as if you're a law-abiding citizen until the point where you're proven proven guilty in a court of or proven guilty in a court of law beyond reasonable doubt. And if you then do something that does otherwise, then the system then should be able to then act and say if you violate the terms of your pretrial release, then then the, then the state can make the argument. Okay, then you've proven that you're not trustworthy enough to to follow the instructions. So now we're going to put you in jail. But Guy, but but I, th- I think it, I think I think it is something. I think I think the state should have a requirement. The state should be able should should be required to at least be able to make some. I, I don't think it has to be a long trial as you as you've stated. I don't think it should have to be putting all your cards on the table. I don't think it, the state should have to let go quote all of their holes. I mean I I, I don't necessarily think a state's arg trial should be that secret. Like eventually, you know, there is a point where the state has to give all of its evidence, but you know, I don't, I don't necessarily think that it has to be like, here's everything we have to, to you know, no, I think, I, you know, there's, 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 there's whole processes for the attorneys to, to get involved and to get all the information. And there's time needed for all that, as we've seen with all of the public trials that are going on currently in the news today and all of the requirements of all the information to get from one attorney to another current attorney in all of these cases. Um, but if, if here's what this, it should be as simple. Here's what this person is charged with. Um, here's this person's criminal history. Um, you know, this is why we think this person, um, should be put in, in jail or here's even for prosecutors to say, we're, we're not going to argue that this person should be put in jail. We're going to argue that this person doesn't meet the requirements. For instance, so, so we're going to argue that this person is, can be let go under the law. And let's here's the paperwork. And then it should take no longer than, you know, 15 minutes per person. Here's, and then the judge says, oh, just looks at, the, looks at the criminal record, says, yes, this person has a criminal record enough that justifies uh, being put in jail until their trial or this person's criminal history does not justify being put in jail or this person's uh, the crime that this person is being charged with um, is violent enough to justify um, that to justify being locked up regardless of the criminal history or this person's crime with with no criminal history is is not enough to be put in 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 jail until the trial and and it should be shouldn't take that long. I, don't, I, don't th- I think you're making that into a larger thing 
than I think it would need to be. Oh no, no, no. Um, no let me let me explain why I'm not. First of all, release is not an innocent or guilt issue. If you look at the factors that courts have to determine to to say I'm going to release you, innocent or guilt is nowhere on it. It's only what assurance you're going to give the court that you will return. It's proactive. What assurance you're giving the court that you will return to respond to the charges. In the example that you're giving, even on a a low-level offender, first-time offender, I mean, he still has to give some kind of assurance. Now, maybe it's his word, but the problem is, under the example that you're saying, if he isn't successful, are we immediately going to jump from, okay, just your word is enough to now we're going to detain you? Shouldn't we have levels? Okay, you. that's why we have sometimes we double the amount of bond. Well, what if we start out with a your release without bond or a personal bond, what we call it in Texas, where you weren't successful there. So now we're going to require you, you can't have a personal bond. You have to have a surety bond. If you're not successful there, then we double it. Or then at some point we say, okay, you, can, you have shown you can't be successful so we're going to detain you. It should not be just, okay, your word or detain. We're dealing with people who have not been successful in society if they have a criminal history and to be, and to require them just to jump to be able to be able to be functional and come whenever they're required, I think is too much. And then the specific response I would give on your example of, you know, if we require this to be a trial, you know, I'm over. I'm making this into a bigger issue than than it really needs to be. No, you're. This is where I think you're really missing the boat. If it's a trial, it's a trial. The other side, the defendant's attorney, especially if he has money. I mean, this is where I think the chaos really comes in. They can make all kinds of objections. You want to introduce my criminal history? I don't think that's admissible. I don't think the court should consider. It. I'm objecting to it for these reasons. One, two, three, four. I'm going to file a motion to exclude this piece of evidence that you're offering. It is a trial. That's what you do at trial. That's why trials last a long time. And so when we take it away from the judges on a, just a, a simple abuse of discretion standard and we make it clear and convincing evidence after a trial within 48 hours of arrest, you are making it all gamesmanship. You're open, but you're not. But you're not. But I don't think they're presenting evidence at these. I, I don't think they would be presenting evidence. But they're just a, saying. If it's a trial, yeah. they have to. They have but it's to not a trial. It's, it's, it's a trial. But it's. But it's not a trial. It's just this. This is what the person is. This is what the person. As I'm understanding it, this is what the person's being charged with. This is what the person. This is the person's past criminal history. I don't think anything else is being introduced. As my understanding, it's, I could be wrong. It is a detention hearing in New Jersey. It has to be held right now within 48 or 72 hours of arrest. And then um, on the systems where you're talking about whether to detain or release, it is a mini trial. And if it's a trial, I mean, the, the point I'm making is if it's a trial, the burden is on the prosecution. If it's not a trial, then it's abuse of discretion standard on the court. And I think what you're arguing for, I just don't think you realize it is an abuse of discretion standard with the court setting bail. And I think because what you're saying is it can't be that 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 can't that you're making it a bigger than a, a bigger mole than a molehole or whatever the correct statement is or analogy is. But I think if you if you think about it, if I'm correct, if I'm right, you are agreeing we shouldn't have that system. Repeat that again. I just I. I, I think what you're saying. I think you would agree that if I'm correct in my analysis of a pretrial release system where we have to have a mini trial within so many hours and the uh, prosecution's in charge of advocating instead of the judge on a, 
abuse of discretion standards setting bail, I think you would, I think what you're saying when you're saying it can't be like that. No, I think you're really agreeing with me that if that's what it is, we, we should not use that if that's what it's like. Right. Let's, let me go to the law. Let me, let, let's read from the law directly because I looked up the law. Denial of pretrial release from, from the Illinois legislation. Upon verified petition by the state, the court shall hold a hearing and may deny defendant mm-hmm. pretrial release only if the defendant is charged with a felony offense other than a forcible felony, uh, which has been based on the charge of defendant's criminal history, a sentence of imprisonment without probation, periodic imprisonment, or conditional discharge is required by law upon conviction, and it is alleged that the defendant's pretrial release poses a real and present threat to the safety of any person or persons in the community based on a specific articulable facts of the case uh, defendant's pretrial release poses a real and present threat to the safety of any person or persons in the community based on the specific articulable facts of the case and the defendant is charged with a forcible felony which is used in section which means first degree murder secondary murder predatory criminal sexual assault of a child aggravated criminal sexual assault criminal sexual assault all right listing all of the crimes all violent mm-hmm. crimes mm-hmm. uh defendant is charged stalking uh, the defendant is charged with violation of a protective order. The defendant is charged with domestic battery. The defendant is charged with any offense. Okay, blah, blah, blah. The defendant is charged with any of the following offenses. Do, 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 do. Listing all the offenses. The defendant is charged with the following offenses. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, more defenses, more offenses. If the charge offense is felony is part of the detention hearing, the court will determine whether there is probable cause. The defendant has committed the offense unless the hearing pursuant to whatever of this code has already been held or a grand jury has returned a true bill of indictment against the defendant. If there is a finding of no probable cause, the defendant shall be released to no such finding is necessary. If the defendant is charged with a misdemeanor, um, a petition yep. may be filed with, let's see, trying to find, um, upon filing, the court shall immediately hold a hearing. Um, unless a continuance is requested, mm-hmm. if a continuance requested is granted, the hearing shall be held within 48 hours of the defendant's first yep. appearance. Um, the court may deny or grant the continuance. Um, all defendants shall be presumed eligible for pretrial release, and the state shall bear the burden of proving clear by clear and convincing evidence mm-hmm. that the proof is evidence that the presumption great. Clear and convincing. Um, for offenses listed in paragraphs one to seven, the defendant poses a real present threat. Um, it's almost like I knew what I was talking about when I said clear and convincing. Well, I, I'm not saying well, I knew it was clear and convincing as <laughs> no, well, I'm but kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Conducted there prior to the hearing, the state shall tender to the defendant copies of the defendant's criminal history available, any written or recorded statements, and the substance of any oral statements made by any person if relied upon by the state in this petition, and any police reports mm-hmm. in the prosecutor's possession at the time of the hearing. Um, the state of defendant may present uh, any evidence at the hearing by way of proffer based on reliable information. Defendant has the right to be represented by counsel um, and have the right counsel appointed him if indigent. Um, to defendant has to have the right to testify, present witnesses on his behalf, cross-examine any witnesses. So there are witnesses that can be brought, um, but they're not required. Um, well, I mean, okay, let me really create a firestorm. Why do you have a right to an attorney at the bail hearing? You know, that's been an issue that's been litigated many times in the federal courts, and the courts have held that setting bail is not a core proceeding which requires an attorney to be appointed. So now why are we turning that on its head? And I mean, we are making this a mini trial. 
Wait, so, so this, this is something that I this is something that I'm ignorant on. So there is no right to a bail. So if you're if bail is being sent for you, you have no right to an attorney. You don't have a right to an appointed attorney because it's not a court proceeding. There's actually a case pending in the Fifth Circuit right now called Booth versus Galveston County on that issue. It was argued three years ago, and they've yet to issue an opinion on it. But I mean, it's you know the county's confident they're going to win. They've that's been the ruling for a long well, time at the Fifth Circuit. My my bet, and this is my bet, knowing the Fifth Circuit, is that the Fifth Circuit would, would, is going to probably come down and say, no, you don't have the right to, to an attorney in a bail hearing. I think it's going to be worse than that because right now there's a case pending at the U.S. Supreme Court that's come from the Fifth Circuit saying that if uh, on these bail reform issues that the court should be required to abstain and that they should not be allowed to be go forward in federal court. So I think once if that stands up, I think you'll have the Booth case remanded to be dismissed in compliance with the uh, Dave's case. And what's the Dave's case? The Dave's case is a, it was a bail reform case from Dallas County where uh, the Fifth Circuit said that uh, that they didn't uh, that there was no right to release. Well, they said uh, that the case should be dismissed as uh, under a federal abstention a doctrine under the younger abstention doctrine uh, because there was adequate proceedings at the, at the state level to raise these issues. And so the federal court should not get involved. Oh, okay. Interesting. And so, I mean, but that was a bail reform case and it's pending at the U S Supreme court. It gives the Supreme court, uh, there's a petition for cert uh, response to do on the 25th of next month. And that gives the court the opportunity to apply that, uh, decision nationwide well yeah so let's see um still reading the thing let's see factors to be considered to make a determination of dangerousness court may determining mm-hmm. the defendant defendant poses a real present threat to the safety of a person or persons of the community um it may consider but not shall not be limited to um the nature of the circumstances of the offense, including whether the offense is a crime of violence, the history of characteristics of the defendants, including uh, any evidence of prior criminal history, any evidence of the defendant's psychological, psychiatric, or other similar social history, um, identity of any person or persons whose safety might be a threat, any statements made, the age and physical condition of the defendant, of the victim, or complaining witnesses yeah, that... You've already, you've already given up the farm, though. This only all right. I'm sorry. So there, there's definitely there's more possibilities. All right. So you're right. There's more there's more to it than, than in in Illinois than just you know what what I said. It should should be there. So yeah, fine. Okay, I'll I'll grant you that. Um, but it only applies to felonies. So no matter how many times you're arrested on a misdemeanor, no matter what your criminal history, you don't you can't be detained. You have to be released. And the only type of release now in Illinois is simple release. You, your word says you'll come back. No matter how many more times you commit the crime, your word is all that the court can. The court hands are tied, and they can't do anything about career criminals or gangs because as long as they just commit a misdemeanor, and if we keep changing felonies to misdemeanors, then they can commit more and more crime. I mean, this. I mean, you just you just gave away. I mean, this is what happened is in, in California. This is what happened in Harris County in uh, Texas. I mean, you can't get any misdemeanors to come to court because you've just taken away all accountability. And you were already having a problem, a massive problem in Louisiana. It just, it's going to get worse, substantially worse. 
And we don't have to say, that's just your guess. No, that's what's happened in these other jurisdictions that have done similar things to this. It hasn't been successful in one place it's been tried. But, yeah, it's going to work this time in Illinois. I promise you. So then my thing is, though, is that, you know, there's, there's still data out there that can we can we just can we agree though that yeah. somebody okay good <laughs> good we agree good we're done i don't even have to say it you're psychic um can we can we agree that somebody's that we should have a system that does not take into consideration somebody's wealth or lack thereof in determining whether or not they are detained pretrial. No. We should not. We we can't agree on that. We can't agree on that. And the reason why is because there is no alternative to the private industry that has the same anywhere near the same accountability or the anywhere near the same uh, appearance rate. And until we do, no, we cannot. There's not an alternative that works at anywhere near as good as the private industry. And so when you get rid of the private industry, what you have now in Illinois and what you're fixing to have in Illinois is the result. So then how does that not create a two-tiered system of justice, one for the wealthy, one for the poor? Well, first of all, you, you have to comply with the Constitution. And we've had multiple cases that have now looked at that. And that we've got the uh, O'Donnell case, the Dave's case, you've got the uh, Walker versus City of Calhoun case, and you've got the Sanchez versus Arizona case. And they've all said it's, you know, you can have a, a system that takes into consideration whether you can afford to pay something. Your right under the Constitution is not a right to release, it is a right to a hearing to determine whether your bond should be lowered from if you say you can't afford that bond. That's the problem that we have. Our friends are arguing that the, the right should be a right to release. And you just see that's what they created in, in Illinois, especially for misdemeanors. You can't hold a misdemeanor no matter what, no matter how many times they do this or they commit a crime. And that's the, the, the federal courts have all rejected that argument. And so we are going around the requirements of the Constitution to impose these heightened rules that are not in the Constitution. And we see what they're doing. They're creating chaos, de facto decriminalization, and increasing crime. And until we take the politics out of it and just focus on public safety, it's going to continue to be a problem. Well, are there people, are there people who are bringing the arguments claiming that there's a right to release, or is that how you're framing their arguments? No, no, that was uh, in the O'Donnell case and in the Dave's case and in the Sanchez case, uh, Sanchez versus Alabama, they were arguing it's a right to release. In fact, in the Sanchez case, they filed a petition to the United States Supreme Court saying that you, Supreme Court of the United States, should hold the private bail system unconstitutional on a substantive due process argument, and they denied the petition for review. The next petition that was in the City of uh, Walker versus City of Calhoun was, hey, well, okay, we should be applying a heightened scrutiny so that to make it difficult to hold people in these situations, and they rejected that. And so it, the rational basis, which is the lowest level review, has been applied, and now we're arguing abstention. That's what the Dave's case is, case is arguing. And in the Dave's case, 
the Fifth Circuit said this litigation is reversed, but it should have never been filed in federal court. And, you know, they're pursuing it, but that makes this really dangerous because I think the Supreme Court could step in and say this type of litigation shouldn't be taking place anywhere in the federal system in the United States. Uh, and then it'll just truly be left up to the states. So if Illinois wants to go completely caca crazy like they're doing, then they won't, you know, then nobody will stop them. I mean, I, 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 I can, in principle, I can agree with you in that that there should be con- federal constitutional oversight over issues of imprisonment, because I think the federal constitution covers issues of federal imprisonment. And as such, the Supreme Congress and or the Supreme court should be able to deal with those issues well, I think there, as they I think arise. Still, up. I think there would still be oversight of constitutional issues to certain level. But the whole concept of of abstention is if there's a system in place at the state level to raise these issues, then the federal court should abstain from micromanaging ongoing criminal proceedings and let the state handle it and then decide whether to get involved. And I don't disagree with that. I mean, you know, I mean, I don't see how courts function when the federal courts get in there and start telling them how to how to manage their uh, uh, criminal cases. Looking look at California, you know they started out with a three-judge felony panel or felony a, a federal court panel telling them that they were not providing adequate medical care to their prison population. That's how it started, and so they were 200% of their capacity. So they ordered them to reduce their capacity to 137.5% and reduce and release everybody else. Well, that went all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court and. The dissenting opinion is probably the majority now, but at that time it was written by uh, – the majority was written by Kennedy, who's no longer there. But the dissent, dissenting judges are probably the majority now, and they're like, we cannot approve the release of 30-something thousand convicted criminals. And I, I would just say you know, this Dave's case kind of probably gives them the opportunity where they could actually reverse that case. But you know, this, the plaintiff's attorneys think – that this is a great opportunity for them. I think it's a great danger for this type of litigation. Let's see. Yeah, what's it say? For the federal courts, the power to remedy. Let's see, just just to get a, a just a brief summary, and this is from the ACLU, but I mean, I'm sure this is case concerns systemic uh, pretrial detention practices in Dallas County. Dallas County judges created bail schedules, correlating bail amounts to specific criminal charges. Magistrates use these schedules to order preset cash bail amounts, condition of release, without making any findings whether pre-trial detention was necessary. Arrestees who could not afford their bail amounts were detained weeks or months before meaningful chance, while this case is in Dallas County alone. Um, Of course, you know, they're editorializing, which you would disagree with. Uh, Plaintiffs argue the system... Go ahead. But you know, I would argue, I would argue that's a little bit different. See, you start with the O'Donnell case, because the O'Donnell case they applied, they won, and they got, uh, but that only applied to misdemeanor judges. So then they filed suit against in the Dave's case against Dallas County, and they were seeking mm-hmm. to extend their win on the misdemeanor judges to the felony judges. And so when that when they when it was resolved at the trial court level, that's what happened. The trial court granted the same preliminary injunction that had been 
issued in Harris County uh, against N. O'Donnell, but extended it to both misdemeanor and felonies. When it went up to the Fifth Circuit, the panel decision said, we're not going to extend this to the felony judges, and we're going to follow on the uh, misdemeanor judges, but if we had it to do over, we would probably disagree with uh, Judge Rosenthal from O'Donnell. That led to an en banc review, motion for rehearing en banc, and on bond, it was granted, and when all 15 or 16 judges of the Fifth Circuit heard the rehearing, they then reversed the original Donald case, sent the case back to the trial court in Dallas and said, brief two issues, uh, abstention and mootness, because the legislature had changed the law. The trial court went back and made a ruling that the case was moot, but they should, the federal system should not abstain. It went back to the Fifth Circuit en banc, and in, and in their last decision, they said it is moot, but they sh- the courts should also abstain, and that this litigation and O'Donnell should have never been filed in federal court. That's what's pending on a petition for cert, only on the issue of abstention and mootness. Okay. And since then, there's another case called Little from Louisiana, also from the Fifth Circuit, where it was uh, dismissed on uh, the argument of abstention, that's also pending on a, a petition for uh, certiorari, and both of those are due. I think one response is due on the 23rd of next month, and the other one's due on the 25th. I think there is strong likelihood that the Supreme Court will grant a petition for cert on the abstention issue. It will freak out the industry, but I think the Supreme Court will take it, and then they'll get rid of this litigation nationwide. Well, that'll be interesting. I'm sure it might be something that I'll cover, and maybe we'll have you back on to discuss that if it does happen. So, or, or if it doesn't, you can come in. You can have me back and tell me how wrong I was, and I'm an idiot. <laughs> I wouldn't call you an idiot. Well, just you know, whatever. You know, you corrected you corrected me on one thing, so you know, I, I'm I'm willing to admit that I had I had I had one thing one thing wrong based on my assumptions, and I'm willing to admit that I'm wrong when it when it happens. So, but it's fine. But I still. I, I still think, you know, at the end of the day, you know, they're, they're, you know, you know, I, I, under, I, I understand the points of public safety. You know, I understand that, you know, there, there are, there are issues that, you know, you know, I guess going back to uh, those, you know, I guess what's the quote from Franklin? If you give up security for freedom, you, you deserve neither lose both or whatever. Um, yeah. The 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 desire to, to to want to make sure that we're 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 safe um, from from crime is 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 a is a is in and of itself a reasonable desire. Um, however, I think that we've we've gone too far in how many people we detain pre-trial. I, I think that there are. Mm. I think that there are too many people detained pretrial. I think that, I think that, I think that people, just because one is accused of a crime, it doesn't necessarily mean that they, they need to be treated as if they've convicted the crime, they've, they've committed the crime, you know, especially if it's if it, in the case of a nonviolent one, or or, a, or even a low level nonviolent one, I'll say, um, there are certain people who have committed maybe certain high-level nonviolent crimes where I'm not sure why they're, why they're being allowed to walk around free when other ones wouldn't be allowed to walk around free, but that's a completely different issue. 
Um, well, let me let me know. make one point that we have not even talked about, and you know, and I know, you know, you have to remember we've already highlighted. I'm an old man, so we're way past my bedtime. But, sure. Uh, but let me make one one last point, and and that is, you know, our courts have limited time for each case. Now, we I understand we want to give the case as much time as it, it warrants because we don't want anybody wrongly convicted, but. You know, our courts have limited time. We only have so much time to devote to a case on average to try to get it resolved, you know, because our criminal justice system or, you know, each court has its own little conveyor belt. And, you know, in our urban cities, we're aver- we're adding the same average number of cases to the conveyor belt every year, every month, every day. And those cases, we have to resolve the same number of cases on average or we have a backlog. And the point that I'm trying to make, and maybe I'm making it inartfully, I think some of some of the policies that are being advocated, and I think this mini trial, we can start by calling it a hearing, but whatever. But I think the unintended consequences of those things is it slows down the conveyor belt. And uh, when we uh, use alternatives that have a much higher failure to appear rate, it slows down the conveyor belt. And there are you can get enough of those things that slow down the conveyor belt, where you suddenly have to have a substantial increase in the number of courts just to resolve the same number of cases that you were resolving with the old system, the private industry, and you just need to tweak it to improve it a little bit. I think that's where we are in Illinois. We, we are now entering into a time where the courts don't even have the money that they had six months ago to operate, we're not replacing it. They've already gone through such battles over losing the private industry, and and you know crime. I mean, I think we would all agree crime is going up in Illinois. Uh, there's a reason for that, and I think you you could say accountability has gone down. I've heard for years that they discount crime in in uh, Illinois, where you know they give you less of a sentence, and that's to encourage people to plead to get cases resolved. And that's uh, what's preventing the criminal justice system from uh, collapsing in Illinois. Uh, that will continue or it will collapse. And, and when we recognize that we're, we're setting up systems that just create more and more chaos, until we re- realize that and stop it and then uh, reverse it, uh, we're just making the system worse, not better. Well, one way to fix the conveyor belt, if you uh, remember uh, Lucille Ball's issue with uh, – with the uh, chocolates and the candies coming down the conveyor belt is to put less chocolates on it in the, in the first place. So he's probably done as overstrained. So maybe, yeah, you know, absolutely. look at the, yeah, look at the crimes in and of itself and make things, absolutely. make less things, make less things crime. So therefore you don't have to punish people for things like, you know, you know. Yeah. Smoking. But when you take away accountability on misdemeanors, today's misdemeanors are tomorrow's felons because it's the training oh. ground. They get a green light to do whatever they want. I'm just saying certain things shouldn't even be misdemeanors because certain things literally are victimless, like, you know, smoking a little plant now and then or whatever. Certain things, like if, if you're not harming anybody, it shouldn't, if you're literally not harming anybody and, or taking away anything that they own or doing, or if, if you're just doing something with yourself, you know, or with other people who consent to it, there's, there should be no issue pertaining to it. So anyway, unrelated question real quick before I let you go. Um, what do you feel about civil asset forfeiture? Are you are you do you agree with it or not? Something from the chat. Ooh, that's a good question, and I you know that's something we have in Texas that we've had for a long time, and um, I know that it's under review a lot. But I've really 
Hmm. Honestly, I don't like civil asset forfeiture. Um, I, I probably have some friends that own uh, some uh, storage buildings, and I think really the storage building business took off when those civil forfeiture statutes uh, first passed because you didn't want anything in your house because uh, that would, they would civil assets in <laughs> your house so you had storage buildings. Uh, mm. But I don't like the concept of forfeiting somebody's assets without a conviction. Uh, and, you know, uh, so I'm probably not, not in favor of that. But I, and and that, that may not be a conservative approach, but, you know, being a, a, a blue-collar guy from a farming town where, you know, I, my two parents were teachers and taught me the importance of education and hard work, you know, I would hate to work, you know, 10 years all my life for something and have some cash in my car because I was going somewhere and I needed some cash, and then have somebody try to civil asset forfeit that. Um, and I would not like that at all. And so I'm, I'm probably not in favor of that, uh, um, not in favor of that really at all. Well, we can agree on that point. So I'm glad we can agree on that issue. So anything else before you want to wrap, before we wrap this up? Well, I mean, first of all, thank you for having me. I've, I've, uh, enjoy talking to you. I'd forgotten how much fun it was. I, I've been, uh, I like to talk to people who don't, don't agree with me. You can tell. Uh, mm-hmm. But if people want to know more information about our position or my position and, and similar issues, you can go to pbtx.com. You can go, we have a blog where we highlight Kate, uh, important stories. We also have a podcast called The Bell Post. You can go to thebellpost.com. And we do a podcast on criminal justice issues. Uh, how to improve the system. We have a podcast on what the New Jersey plan is and stuff like that, where we're just trying to educate either legislators or policymakers or the public on uh, criminal justice issues. Um, and that's it. Thank you very much for having me. Perfect. Thank you very much. And again, you know, either when those cases come down and want to discuss those or anything else, just give me a, send me an email and we can, we can uh, schedule another time for you to come back. It was a pleasure and thank you very much and you have a great rest of your night. You too, sir. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Um, we will not – I have something actually else that I have to do uh, tonight. If you if you watch my Nerdy Dan stuff, there's that online survivor thing that I'm taking part, part of. I talked about it before. I don't know if it's going to be streamed or not. Um, uh, I'll, I'll share the link maybe to uh, my, my NerdyDan.com Twitter feed if it is going to be streamed. So if you want to join along with it, you can. Um, but it's probably going to happen soon. So I'm not going to be uh, doing any of the um, response videos to the toxic masculinity stuff today. Um, but I do have some stuff from the other day to, to edit and upload after this is done. So um, you might see some of those have tomorrow. In fact, I actually processed one and never uploaded it the other day. So I have to upload one of it, one of them and process another two after that thing is done. So um but this was a good show. Um, I think I made some of my points. Um, you know, again, it's always good to have good civil conversations with people from the other side of the aisle. Um, he made his points. I made mine. I think, you know, you know, it's good to see why people who dis- you disagree with make the points that they dis- that they that they make. But I think it's also good to make the points in in uh, to counteract what they say, uh, just because. You know, you have to understand what them. And sometimes it's good to also highlight where you agree. Like we, you know, I brought up the civil asset forfeiture as was brought up in chat. Ken, you know, thank you for bringing that up. You, you believe that 
he didn't you you believe that he might not that he would support civil assets forfeiture i actually believe that he wouldn't i actually believe that he would be the type of conservative that would reject it and i was right um but i wasn't going to i wasn't going to say that because i wanted to see what he was going to say first anyway this is the end of this week's episode of Liberal Dan Radio, Talk From Left, That's Right. I will be back Monday uh, with more Talk From Left, That's Right. Monday, I will be having on as a special guest one of the other candidates in the Louisiana House race um, for House 91, um, somebody who is a, um, um, he's, uh, does a lot of good work uh, with addictions. Um, I think that's one of the reasons why he's running, to, to promote that. But we'll get more into that and the work he does with that um, and discuss the race as well. And we'll also discuss various other things, anything else that happens over the weekend. Um, we'll get into the Trump thing as well because I didn't, I didn't get to talk about that at all. But we'll talk about that next week as well. Till Monday, hope you join me tomorrow on Nerdy Dan with Liberal Dan Radio. Talk from the left. That's right. Yeah.